Isaiah 47 tonight. If you've got your Bible, Isaiah chapter 47 this evening. Isaiah chapter 47. Uh, church family, different type of message tonight. I want to talk to you on the subject of end time thinking. And uh, I want to, looking, looking at Isaiah chapter 47, it really gives us a picture of what people in the end times are going to think. And uh, you'll see it uh, spelled out in the scripture. I think sometimes you see everything before I get a chance to read it because uh, the scriptures are pretty clear. But I want to uh, look at uh, this chapter. And the parallel tonight is Babylon. And I think you'll understand that, uh, that there was an Old Testament Babylon and there's a New Testament Babylon. Uh, Old Testament Babylon, if I was to ask you who the king was, you would say Nebuchadnezzar. And then if I was to ask you who the New Testament Babylon king is going to be, you would say Antichrist. And it's just that God very clearly talks about Babylon in the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. And I want to make the parallel tonight, but then I want to look at Isaiah 47 tonight to show you what the end time thinking is. And there's three thoughts tonight in that chapter. And of course, it's very clear. I like the number three, but the Lord must like it as well. And so we'll look at those together tonight. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you again for letting us be together. Would you again please use your word in our hearts and minds? And Lord, I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think it's an informational message. Uh, Father, I think that you exhort us and teach us and reprove us uh, in every message. I just ask you to please help us as we look at your word. You promised in Lord Isaiah 55 that your word would not return void and that it would do what you pleased. And Lord, tonight would you allow that to happen in all of our lives? Lord, thank you for uh, what you've done even this last week. Thank you for the kids getting back from youth conference. Thank you, Lord, for the camps going well. Lord, as we continue the summer months, Lord, I ask you to please guide and direct. Help us to reach people with the gospel. And Lord, may Vacation Bible School be one of those. Would you please use the church family to be able to get kids here? And Lord, may we see people saved because of it. Now, Father, again, help us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 47, if you look at verse number one with me, here's what the Bible says. It says, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of, what's the word? Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne. Now, church, let me just say as we read it so it makes more sense to you. Uh, Isaiah 47 is prophetical, and Isaiah is prophesying that Babylon is going to be destroyed. Now, again, I just, I know it's elementary, but let's just think this thing through for just a moment. Our history books, of course, we're in the major prophets here, but our history books tells about how the children of Israel did wrong and how God sent the first uh, wave into captivity under Assyria, and that was King Sennacherib, and they went into, the ten tribes went into captivity under uh, Assyria, and then the last two tribes are going to go into captivity under Babylon. Now, church family, what's significant about this is you follow it through the Bible is that Babylon was a, a world power, all righty? We understand, again, not getting too deep tonight, but of course in the book of Daniel and and we look at the image and we talk about the head of gold and bronze and silver and it works its way down to the ten toes, that that was a picture of the world empires. And the first world empire was Babylon. It was the head of gold. It was Nebuchadnezzar as the king. In other words, all the known world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar had overcome, all righty? And so that's what, that's the, if I can say the nation that the children of Judah or Israel, they went into captivity under Babylon. All right. So now Isaiah is about to say, hey, Babylon, it's your turn to be in captivity. That's what God's about to do and teach here. Now let's pick it up in verse number one again. And let's talk, look at the captivity that's going to happen to Babylon. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground. There is no throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Now, again, it's referring to her as a woman, but she was a nation among, among the other nations that was high above everybody else. Verse number two, take the millstones and grind meal. That's what slaves did. Take the millstone and grind meal. Uncover thy locks 
make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. You're going to be taken to captivity. You're going to lose your clothing. They're, they're going to treat you like a slave. Now, church family, I just want to mention it. Our definition of what nakedness comes from these verses as well. That's not the interpretation, but is definitely uh, information in the sense that God says, look at verse number three, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. What does the previous verse say? Make bare the leg, uncover the thigh. The reason Christians don't uncover the loin or the thigh is because God calls it nakedness, all right? Again, just thought they'd point that out and I know you were interested. All right, verse number three. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Again, talking about captivity. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, God speaking here, and I will not meet thee as a man. That's because he's not meeting him as a man because he's God, all right? So God's gonna punish Babylon. Verse number four, as for our redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the lady of kingdoms. That's what Babylon was called. She's the lady of kingdoms. She's the one that stands out above the rest. Look at verse number six. I was wroth with my people. God said, I was wroth with my people, the Jews. I, I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thine hand. Whose hand? Babylon's hand. Thou didst show them no mercy upon the ancient, hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou saidest, I shall be a lady, Babylon speaking again, and thou saidest, I shall be a lady forever. In other words, I will be in charge. I'll be in control. He says, all the, uh, the, the blessings that Babylon had received as a servant of God, even though they were lost, God, they thought that was going to be forever. But look what it says. So that thou didst not lay these things to, to thy heart, neither didst thou remember the latter end of it. Therefore, hear now this, thou that art given to pleasure, that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am, and that none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow. This is what Babylon said. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee, to, to Babylon. These two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon thee in their, in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Therefore, verse 11, shall evil come upon thee, thou shalt not know from whence it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee, thou shalt not be able to put it off and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. All right, now, church, again, uh, follow me a little bit, and then we'll look at these three things. But here's what I want you to think about. This Old Testament Babylon that had taken over Judah and all the other nations and taken them captivity, God says, I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to judge you like you treated others. I'm going to treat you the same. All right, now, I want you to notice God's judgment. I want you to flip over to Jeremiah chapter, I think it's 51. Let me make sure here. Grab your Bible, uh, flip over to Jeremiah 51, all right? Here is the judgment that happened upon uh, Babylon. Judge, uh, Jeremiah chapter 51. I'm going to just uh, pinpoint just a few verses again without reading this whole chapter. The whole chapter is about the judgment of Babylon. Jeremiah 51, look at verse number 11. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The Lord hath raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. That's the Medes and Persians. For his, the, his, for his God's device, is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Look at verse 24, again, not reading the whole chapter. Verse 24, God says this by Jeremiah, and I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord. Verse number 25, behold, I'm against thee, O destroying mountain, destroying mountain being Babylon, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth, and I will stretch out mine hand upon thee. Verse 26, and they shall not take of thee a stone for a corner nor a stone for a foundation, but thou shalt be desolate, 
How long? Forever, saith the Lord. Verse 28, prepare against her the nations with, with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. And the land shall tremble and sorrow, for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. Verse 49. I'll just read one more verse out of this chapter. And as Babylon hath caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. All right, now, just let me understand that Babylon is a picture, in the Old Testament, is a picture of the New Testament Babylon. All right? Just me, if you read the book of Revelation at all, you understand Revelation 17 and 18. Revelation 17, religious Babylon. Remember reading about that? Remember Revelation chapter 18, political Babylon. Some people call it commercial Babylon. And, and what is Babylon? It's a world power. How many remember when Hussein thought he was going to take over the world? All right? All right? The kids, the kids in here don't remember that time. But Hussein had the third, uh, Saddam Hussein, had the third largest nation in the uh, largest army, excuse me, the third largest army in the world he had when he started his attack. And he learned real quick the United States, that didn't mean anything to us. And of course, through air power, that got taken care of. But, you know, Babylon is in Iraq where Saddam Hussein was. And I don't know if he thought he was the next leader or next world power, but we, many people, theologians, thought that possibly Babylon in Iraq would be a literal Babylon. I don't know that that's teaching that because I think Revelation 17 and 18 is referring to a world power called Babylon, the same picture of the Old Testament Babylon, all right? Now, I'm not trying to get deep with you this, morning, this evening, but I want you to, to see this thought is that Babylon of the Old Testament was coming to the end of their time. Just mean they were the head of gold. They took over all the nations. But they, their mentality toward the end of when God says, okay, I've had enough of you, and God destroys Babylon, is the same mentality that's going to take place in the last days when we get to this time when there'll be a new Babylon, a new world power, an antichrist that is going to call for a one-world religion, a one-world economy, a one-world government, and try to bring all of this together, and there's a mentality that goes with that, and I think it's very parallel. I want you to notice something, Revelation 18. Let's look at the New Testament Babylon. Revelation 18. Got your Bible? Head that direction. Last book of the Bible. Revelation 18. Again, this is talking about uh, political Babylon or commercial Babylon. Look at verse number 1 with me. Revelation 18, verse number 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven and having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. In other words, demonic. Verse 3, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Well, how is all nations drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication? Is because Babylon is a world power at this time during the tribulation period. He goes on to say, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Those are the tribulation saints, the people who get saved during the tribulation period. That she be not partakers of her sins and that she receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. Verse 6, reward her, again Babylon, even as she rewarded you. And double unto her, double according to her works in the cup which she hath filled, filled her double. In other words, how the Antichrist teaches the tribulation saints during the tribulation period. God says he's going to reward them double on how they were treated. Look verse 7. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen. Now, does that remind us of Isaiah 47? 
you know, talking about the lady of the nations. I sit a queen and, and, and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore, verse eight, the last verse I want you to read here. Shall her plagues come in how, how, how many days? Same thing as said Isaiah 47. In one day, in Jeremiah 51, death and mourning and famine and she shall be utterly burned with fire. I like the last phrase, verse number eight. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. All right. Now, I know this is kind of an unusual message tonight, but follow me for just a moment, okay? And I'm going to jump right in the message, and I don't know that we'll be very long tonight. Two Babylons. Old Testament Babylon is a picture of Nebuchadnezzar, and of course, he's the head of gold. He owns all of the world. Everybody answers to him. Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless leader, all right? He roasted people in fire. He, 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 the way he murdered people and killed people was very uh, gruesome. And so, but people feared him, and he took over nations like that. And of course, he was the world power. And uh, one day, New Testament Babylon, Revelation 18, by the way, God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent, that means God's all powerful, okay? And Antichrist is going to take over. If you haven't figured out by now, we're going to, I almost said the word ain't, we are not going to go through the tribulation period. I want to tell you something, there's more and more people talking like that. I'm just trying to tell you the Bible is very, very clear here, all right? And I don't want to get too off track here, but Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia Minor, is church history. You're talking about the church age. And when you get to chapter 4, there's a trumpet. And guess what the trumpet says? Come up hither. And guess what? You don't find the church in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 through chapter 19, because in chapter 19, we're coming back on white horses. All right? So we're not going to go through this tribulation period. But the Antichrist, this one world government, this Babylon, this world power, I don't know that it's the United States, to be honest with you. And I know there's been all kinds of speculations, and most people's speculations over the last hundred years has changed multiple times because times change. And then we got a new idea or philosophy or thought on what, what this is really talking about. All I know is God knows what's going to happen. And I know I'm not going to be here when it happens. And so this, this Babylon that comes down to the end times, and by the way, church, I mean, we are in the end times. I believe that. I know Paul thought the same thing, but I want to tell you something. We're closer and nearer to our salvation than ever before. Amen. How, you know, how do you know that? How far do you want to go? Matthew 24 and 25 or 1 Timothy chapter number 3. When, hey, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then God lists all the things of peril that's going to take place. And every one of those are happening right now. Amen. Lord could come back at any moment. So this New Testament world power, Babylon, that's going to be headed up by the Antichrist. In the first three and a half years of the tribulation periods, it's going to be somewhat peace, peace, and bringing everybody together. There's no doubt that at the beginning of the tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to promise Israel that they can build the temple. And he's going to try to get this world peace going on. And three and a half years into the tribulation period, he's, he's going to have enough of that. And he's going to walk into the temple and say, I'm God, not your God. And Israel, for the last three and a half years, which is called Jacob's Trouble, is going to be running for their lives as the Antichrist tries to kill Israel. I like reading the book of Revelation because, you know, the Antichrist is going to take an army and go against Israel. And the Bible, I think the indication is that when the army goes against Israel, the Bible says that it's as a flood. And the Bible says that the, water, or that the earth opens up and swallows the flood. That flood is the nations that's going to go against Israel by the command of the Antichrist. Can you imagine going against Israel and all of a sudden the ground just opens up? Now, all I'm trying to get you to think about tonight is that end time thinking, that's where we're at today. And I, and I don't think it should be the kind of thinking that a Christian thinks, but it's the kind of thinking that the world thinks. And if we're not careful, Christians take on that same kind of thinking. 
Hey, we are affected by what we see and we cannot just close our eyes to what's around us and we see all that's going on and sometimes we make our decisions and our actions based upon what's going on around us. Church family, listen, don't get, get duped by the devil when it comes to the internet or television or movies or education or, or even your job. It's not a matter of trying to fit in. We don't fit in. Amen. The song couldn't have said it any better. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The Bible says that in this body, we groan because this is not home for us. Now, tonight, I want you to go back to Isaiah 47. Here's the message tonight, all right? Thank you for letting me lay the groundwork on that. Isaiah 47. So what was the final thinking of Babylon in the Old Testament that is also the final thinking of Babylon New Testament? What kind of mentality permeates our world today? that shows us that we're, t we're at the end of life or the end time before the rapture of the church takes place. Isaiah 47, you already saw all three. You probably put numbers next to them. But would you look, look back in your Bible, verse number seven and eight. Verse seven says this, now said us, talking about Babylon being the one speaking, I shall, I, shall, I shall be a lady forever. In other words, I'm not gonna lose what I've got. I'm gonna continue to be in control. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst thou remember the latter end of it. Verse number eight, all three are in verse number eight. Therefore... Hear now this, thou that art given to pleasures, that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. Church, I want you to look at those three thoughts. The word that kind of signifies what the three are. But I want you to notice these three, this, these three thoughts of Babylon before God said, I've had enough with you. Now, I'm going to step to this side as being Old Testament, that side being New Testament. But when Babylon you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he did all what he did, and he was the one that was in control. And we read the book of Daniel and the stories of Daniel and how, all, how Babylon was such a strong power. They had a mentality that they couldn't fall and that it would always stay that way. And God tells them through Isaiah, the prophet, says, listen, Babylon, it's not gonna stay this way. You're not the lady of the nations. I'm in control and, and you're gonna go down. And then he mentions in verse number eight, this mentality that they had, first one, given to pleasure. They were given to pleasure. I, and, and church, I mean, we, we understand that pleasure is not always bad unless it's a sinful pleasure. All right, you with me so far? Do you understand that, uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Aren't you glad that God has given a gift to us and that's the reward of our labor? In other words, there's things that God allows us to enjoy in the world that we live. All right? I mean, I, I, there are things that are not wrong for us, but church family, when you are given to pleasure. In other words, that's what you live for. I, I can't wait till my next vacation time. I can't wait uh, till, till the next time I can get off to, to, to just to go. Uh, there's nothing wrong with vacation. There's nothing wrong. But we, we as Christians, we're in a fight. God's very clear about this. He says, endure hardness as a good. That doesn't sound like pleasure to me. You remember what Moses said in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 25? He said, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I, I, don't, I think that Babylon's pleasure was not the pleasure of let's take a family vacation. I think that the idea that God's speaking about here, that Babylon... That the, the closer they were getting to the end, that God was going to take them down and God was going to rule over mankind and stop letting Nebuchadnezzar as his servant rule. It was this idea of, hey, listen, we've conquered everything. Let's go have fun. As a Christian, we must be careful that we do not take on the world's mentality 
of this idea of pleasure, all right? Hey, we flipped to several passages tonight, and you're doing very well. Let's look, I want you to flip to one other one with me. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I made reference to this, but I want you to see a couple of verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, look down in verse number 1. This know also, 2 Timothy 3, 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And I mentioned that these things were here, but there's one in particular I, don't want, you to, I want you to see tonight. For men should be lovers of their own selves, self-centered, co- covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, homosexuality, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means without self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Look, look at the next one, verse number four. Just say it with me, ready? Lovers of more than. Verse number one, this know also that in the last days, that's where we're at today. It's, it's a matter of, okay, let, let's just have a good time. You know, I think one of the problems that, we, that, we, that we're getting as far as even church service is that, you know, if the, if the if I don't get to come to the church service and man, the pastor's not jumping up and down and boy, there's the, he, he gives this tear jerking story and just man, you're not here to be entertained. And God uses the gifts that God gives a person as far as they're speaking, but the, there's not a gift of entertainment. There's, there's not one. God uses the personality of the man as we see that through the scriptures as we look at Peter's writing and Paul's writing. But Jeffrey, I want to tell you something. I'm thankful that we've got, when I'm gone, I'm glad that uh, Michael can preach and Ben can preach and Josh can preach. And, and these fellows I know by their first name because I've seen them grow up. I'm thankful for that. But I want to just tell you something. This thing of, well, I'm only going to go if pastor's there. You better never say that around me because you're the next illustration. You don't come to church to hear a person. You come to hear from God. And by the way, God uses people and he, he, hasn't, he hasn't got it down to one person. We come to church so that we can hear the word of God so that God can speak to our hearts. And I'm just trying to tell you that if we're not careful, we'll, we'll take on the world's in, in, uh, attitude on is, okay, is it going to be fun? Just remember, we don't live the Christian life for fun. We live our Christian life for God. I want to tell you something, there's enough churches out there that are, that are flooded, and they only have Sunday morning services, but there's enough churches out there that you can go to that'll have fun. Come put your kids in our social program, and come put your kids in the music program, and come put your kids over here in this. I want to tell you, I've got something perfect for you to put your kids in. It's an independent, fundamental Baptist church service. Let them hear preaching. Let, let, let them hear what the Bible says and let them be taught the word of God and let, the, and let, them, let them make decisions. Yeah. Listen to me. If your kids make a decision during a service or if they, I, I, my son came home uh, from youth conference and said that he had surrendered uh, to, to preach and, and, and to me it's a big decision. Amen. We shouldn't take lightly when our kids come home and ask a question, not, not, out of, not out of rebellion. Pastor said such and such. What did he mean by that? Don't let that drop. You as a parent ought to pick that up and you ought, to, you ought to open up the Bible and show them. This is what the Bible says. This is what we believe. This is why we're doing it. Parents, you better listen very closely to I'm, I, what I'm next to say. I'm just telling you because of even the kids in my own home, we're raising a generation that, don't do, that do not understand Ephesians 5.10. 
We're raising a generation that you have to prove to them why something is right or wrong. And I'm not trying to condemn my children, but they've asked me questions and I'm, thinking, I'm scratching my head thinking to myself, why are we asking this question? And I don't want to be mean about those questions that my kids ask because I want to answer those questions because there's nothing wrong with them asking questions. Listen to me very closely though. Where the mentality that this generation is getting is, prove to me why that's wrong. Church family, Ephesians 5.10 says, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. The burden of proof is not for me to prove to you what something's wrong. The burden of proof is for you to prove what is right. It's crazy. No, 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 wait a second. It's it's a backslidden, uh, fleshly mentality when we have to say, well, tell me why it's wrong. Why don't you bite your tongue and say, I'm going to look in the Bible and find out why it's right. You know, I want to tell you something. I'm not too bright. And, and you can say amen because I'm not. I'm very elementary. All the messages are elementary. If you don't get anything from here, then you and I are about the same page, not very bright. All the messages are elementary. But I want to tell you something. When I came to a point in my life as a teenager that I wondered if what I said was true, I was smart enough to sit down with a Bible. Back then you didn't have computers. You had a strong concordance to find out, is this right or wrong? Young people, listen to me tonight. Don't do that. God's not gonna be, God is not going to be happy with you if you want to kind of step your foot down after all your years your parents have taught you and your, uh, what the Bible teaches and then you've gone, they put you through Christian education or they've taught you, put you in church and then you want to put your foot down like, well, I, you know, I don't know if this, you're, you're, it's more like you're brainwashing me. I don't know if really that's true or not. Okay, if you honestly think that way, you have a Bible. Listen to me, if we have to push it on you, then we call us a cult. But you've got a Bible. Nobody's telling you anything that you can't find out for yourself. Given the pleasure. We we, got to be careful for Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. How do you like that one? Demas was going to church because he wanted to know if we're going to go to an amusement park. Demas was, uh, Christianity was based upon, you know, what was the world going to feed my flesh instead of what God is going to do as far as feeding my spirit. Hey, listen, I I know I'll go on the next point tonight. I told you it'd be short and and I'm I'm doing my best, but follow me for just a moment here tonight. Do you see what's going on in our lives when everything we have to do, everything that we're doing, am I going to have fun? Listen, I don't mean to scold you tonight, but I am. I want to scold you right now, okay? So I'm, I'm going to tell you that I'm scolding you, so prepare yourself. This thing of not coming to an activity because you don't think it's fun, you're given a pleasure. Well, I'd come to the activity, but, you know, I, I, I can have more fun at home playing my video game. Do you hear what you're saying? You're given a pleasure. You know what that's called? It's called end time thinking. It's it's what's permeating the world, that's permeating the church, that's permeating the Christian. Church family, I I wish I could say the Christian life is always fun. It's not always fun. Hey, can I be transparent? Thank you. I don't think it's fun to get up in the morning. I think my alarm clock went off at 5.15 this morning, I think. Might have been earlier, I don't remember. 
That's not fun to me. My brother's in. To be honest with you, I love my brother. I don't get to see him very often. Amen. I do. I think he's a great guy. I really do. I'm looking forward to this week spending time with him and my family. I really am. I, I'm just I'm just him. But you know what? I'm in church tonight, and I know I love preaching. Come on. I can find other things to do fun. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I wouldn't, and you know I wouldn't, but I can stay home. I can't really, but I mean, I could. <laughs> be kind of weird. Where's your pastor tonight? <laughs> he went out with his brother. <laughs> hey, listen, stop judging your Christianity and your spirituality based upon, is this enjoyable? Amen. You think Jeremiah was having a good time while he was in prison? Just follow the New Testament and follow Peter and and all these fellows that God used. And some of them were arrested and some of them were beaten and some of them were killed. Think they were having a great time? Sometimes it's not a matter of fun. Listen, Listen, I am so thankful for the joy of the Lord is my strength. I am so thankful the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. I'm so thankful for rejoicing the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I enjoy life and I enjoy what God's given us. But my life is not based upon fun. That's the mentality of today. Well, you know, how much fun is this going to be? What kind of pleasure do I get out? Look at the second thing quickly. I told you I'd hurry. I, I will now. Verse number eight. Therefore, hear now this, thou, that, verse number eight, Psalm 40, Isaiah 47, uh, that are given to pleasure, second of all, that dwellest, what? Carelessly. Church, I mean, carelessly, you know, we quote the verse, First uh, Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, What? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's not the care it's talking about. This care that it's talking about is not burdens that we bear. It's talking about being careless, being negligent, unthinking, inattentive, unmindful, or if I can say it, unconcerned. I want to tell you, we as Christians cannot live an unconcerned life because we have something to be concerned about. We ought to be concerned that people are dying and going to go to hell. We, we ought to be concerned about that our children are taught in the word of God and be raised for him. We ought to be concerned that our marriage is right and that we have a relationship that we can model to teach our children. We ought to be concerned that I can be a part of serving God in a ministry to help edify the brethren. We ought to be concerned about those things. We ought not to be careless. And, and this is an end time thinking. Hey, you, you that work out in the world and you're with lost people all the time, you know it's about pleasure. What are they going to do on the next fun day they have off? You know it's about, well, it doesn't really matter. Careless. Christians should not be careless. Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and, and them that hear thee. How are you going to save yourself and those that hear you? By taking heed, by paying attention, by not just being lackadaisical about your Christian life. You know, one of the things about young people is this, is that when they get a day off, uh, they take it. (laughs) In other words, uh, they don't set an alarm and they sleep in and, you know, it's just like whatever goes, goes. 
How many of you guys that work a, work a secular job, wouldn't you like to live a life like that? Uh, I know I'm supposed to be there at 7, but I think I'll show up at 9 tomorrow. Hey, you know, I've worked awful hard today, and uh, I don't think I'm going to come back after lunch. I'm just telling you something. You have a schedule, and you have discipline in your life. And I want to tell you the mentality that's going on in this end-time Babylon that we're living in today. It's just very careless. It's very careless. I don't care what I say. I don't care whose feelings I hurt. I don't care what I do. It's just a very careless society. Our prisons are full of people who are just careless. But church, I mean, we should not take on that mentality. The rich fool said, and I will say unto my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then, those, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Church, I mean, that rich fool, rich fool said, I'm going to take my, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to take my ease. Church, I mean, Christians can't do that. Church, I mean, we're almost out of time. I know that we don't think about that, but thy kingdom come. The Lord could come back before this service is over. Amen. Our time is short. There's some of you in the auditorium right now. You have a father, mother, brother, or sister who's not even saved. That would really bother me. It would really bother me to think that I would be in heaven forever and my blood relatives on their way to hell forever. Our time is short. We cannot be careless about what we're doing. You get home and you've worked all day and you, the kids are about to go to bed at night. And I don't know if you do your family altar in the morning or if you do in the evening. You, you can't be careless about that. The, your, your time is ticking. It, it's it's going to be gone. I was talking to Brother Denny before the service looking at his line of kids back there. His oldest one's 13. Oh, to have him 13 again. When the whole row is a bunch of kids, it's not that way. And they, you that are older than me, the kids, they, it's like yesterday and they're gone. Amen. Don't, don't be careless on training. Don't be careless in witnessing. Don't be careless in ministering. You get up in front of your Sunday school class, you better pretend that that might be the last time you get to talk to those kids. Amen. Don't be careless on what you're doing for the Lord. Last of all, and I'm done. Look at the next thing in verse number eight. Here's what he says. Therefore, hear now this, thou that art, first of all, given a pleasure. Second of all, that dwellest carelessly. Third of all, that sayest in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. Church, remember that same phrase mentioned in verse number 10, the last part of the verse. Thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. Can I tell you the mentality of this Babylon age that we're living in? Yes, it's, it's given to pleasure, and yes, it's dwelling carelessly, but last of all, they're self-centered. I am. Nobody else, there's none else. There, nobody else matters. The only one that matters is me. Now, church, I, mean, I want to tell you something. The only one that matters is God. We should not be self-centered. Hey, have you ever noticed that when you look at maps of the United States of America, that America's always in the middle and never, all the other countries are around it? If you ever go into a foreign country and you look at their maps, guess what? Their country's in the middle. And everything else is around it. You know, if we're not careful, we're like a map. We think we're the one in dead center and everything revolves around us. It doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around him. That is a self-centered attitude that is a worldly, Babylonish, end-time thinking that it's all about me. It's not about me. 
Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's what we're supposed to do. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples? Remember what the disciples said? The disciples were talking amongst themselves. In Mark 9, 34, it says this, but they held their peace for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. You know why? Because that was a self-centered attitude. Self-centered attitude. I want to tell you something. Don't you like to go to a, a class and be in a class where you have other students where it's not about them? You know, people, if you're here in the Christian school and, you walk, and you're in a class, whether it's first and second, third and fourth, fifth and sixth, you're not supposed to walk in that class. Okay, teacher, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for the class? Amen. You know, you should be the one holding the door for everybody else coming in. You should be the one that gives your seat when there's not another chair. Amen. Oh, bless God, my parents pay tuition for me to be here. You know what that is? It's a very self-centered attitude. Self-centered attitude. I'm done tonight, but I want to tell you something. I really believe that Old Testament Babylon, New Testament Babylon shows the end thinking of the end times that we're living in right now. And the world, not, Christians are not supposed to have this. The world has this attitude of, you know, what's going to be fun for me? They're looking for pleasure, all right? They're given to pleasure. They've got this attitude that it's a very self-centered. They're very careless about life. And I want to just tell you something. If we're not careful, we'll take on that mentality because of what's going on around us. How many times have we thought to ourselves, the world is not supposed to influence us, we're supposed to influence the world. But in this end time that we're living in, it's a shame the church is getting influenced. The church is getting influenced. Hey, I want to tell you something. If there's anybody that likes to have fun, it's me. I mean, I like to have fun. It's just, I do. But that's not our life. We, we can't live careless. You say, well, you know, I'm older now and I'm retired. You can't, you can't live careless. The Lord's coming back. Amen. Have a plan. Yeah. Where are you headed? What are you doing? What does the Lord want for your life? You have opportunities now that you're retired that you didn't have before. Amen. Don't, 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 just, don't just be free and fancy. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. And then last of all, I think it's very clear here that, that idea of being self-centered. It's I am, there's nobody else. no. There's God. You want to please the Lord with your life. Hey, listen, what, what does the Lord want for your life? That should be your ultimate goal. God, whatever you want, that's what I want. That's not the world's idea, though. But that's what a Christian's idea should be. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?